0: Today's episode is brought to you by Backlight GEM. If you're a narrative designer or a writer in the world of video games, GEM is a powerful tool that empowers you to bring your stories to life by streamlining the narrative design process from ideation to release, making it a go-to solution for studios of all sizes from indie to AAA. With GEM, you can write-use a screenplay-style editor while also structuring and visualizing your story's branching pathways and mapping out key narrative elements. It's like having a blueprint for your stories, and GEM is super scalable so you can create stories of any size and scope, whether it's an epic NPC-filled RPG or a commentary for a sports game. GEM is also highly collaborative and integrates easily into development pipelines, meaning your core narrative vision can stay intact across the development process. If you'd like to check it out yourself, you can visit gem.backlight.co to discover how GEM can transform your storytelling process. Hello, this is ScriptLock, where we talk about storytelling in video games. I'm Max Folkman, And I'm Nick Folkman. Today's guests are Alexa Ray Korea and Ben Starr. Alexa is a writer and narrative designer currently working on the Black Panther video game in partnership with Marvel Games and EA, serving as both a writer and systems designer. Previously, she had worked on Aztec Forgotten Gods, Call of Duty Vanguard, and the Call of Duty Warzone Pacific live service game, Bug Snacks, and Middle Earth Shadow of War. She's also currently writing a book about the Kingdom Hearts series under Limited Run Games' press-run publishing division. And Ben is an actor who has appeared in such games as Final Fantasy 16 as Clive Rosfeld, Rossfield Fiel- Ross
1: Rossfield yeah
0: fuck that I'm already no don't up. keep it in. <laughs> <laughs> all right keep it, keep it in. In. this is
1: good stuff keep
0: it in Ark knights as sharp warframe yeah. 1999 as arthur as acted in shows like you trying jamestown dickensian and more thank you both for coming on and before we start i'd like to say that nothing i say in this podcast represents the views of sony interactive entertainment or insomniac games and- or ea
2: or ea for me
1: I personally represent all of the views of Square Enix,
0: (laughs) and I would like that to be on record. It is now. Um, Yeah. Thank you both for coming on. Thanks. How did both of you get into the games industry? Ben can go first. Um, Complete chance. Um, I I, I, I still
1: don't feel like I'm in the games industry. I feel like I'm just an actor who just happens to be working on video games. Um, And I, as a result... I then just kind of inserted myself into the games industry. Um, I've been a big game of all my life, and so I don't know. Having the opportunity to 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 be present and a part of something that I love, I just thought, oh my god, this is so cool. And I and ever since getting, you know, I've been doing games here and there, but getting the part in Final Fantasy, it was this this moment of a this moment of change, and I saw it as an opportunity, and I've just kind of seized it you know they gave me a little bit of an inch and i've just kind of barged through the door and go hi guys um and it's been truly truly wonderful hence why i'm here you know it's like this this opportunity doesn't come around very often to Mm. do this um so even though i've been working on final fantasy for four years i've probably been acting in some video games here and there for five or six years it wasn't a regular thing and now over the past six months really since final fantasy came out it's been it's been a large portion of my life, meeting new people, having amazing experiences, meeting fans. Um, and it's something that I want to keep doing for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Have you always had an interest or wanted to, to act in games? Oh my God, yeah. I mean, yes, yes is the answer. I think that I never thought it was possible. Um, I originally thought that I was just going to do theater. Uh, when I graduated from drama school, I went to a place called Lambda, which is the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. We don't really do music there though. Um, <laughs> they really, really don't. Um, and I graduated and thought, I'm going to go off to the RSC. I'm going to go to the National Theatre. I'm going to do Shakespeare. I'm going to tour in rap Theatre. And I didn't, I ended up kind of just not really working for a bit and then ended up doing some TV and film here and there. And then I got some jobs and was able to, buy a house and 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 kind of finance myself through that and i thought that was going to be my life you know just doing tv here and there being a ju- journeyman actor really mm-hmm. i didn't really have any aspirations to be this uh, be any sort of kind of celebrity or famous i had no interest in that um, and i was perfectly happy and then this role came along and the idea that it is fate seems to be the only kind of explanation really because Otherwise it's just luck and it probably is just luck, but getting the role and, and I realized having been in the industry, in the acting industry for such a long time, opportunities are very rare opportunities where you are given a platform to, um, I don't know, um, seize or take advantage of. And it's very, it's, it's. it's it's not often that you are allowed a platform to go and do things yourself. And I've kind of just went right, packing my bags, I'm going off and I'm just going to meet as many amazing people as possible. I'm going to do all of these things. And this is, wasn't like a publicist or anything. I didn't, haven't had any help. It's literally just been me being like, I'm doing this Mm -hmm. and square have been amazing. They've kind of let me do my own thing um, and have been really supportive where they can, but they really, really, you know, They really shouldn't have let me do half the stuff that I've done. You see what I do on the internet. It's not, you know, um, it's it's been it's been super super fun, and and I feel like for the first time, I feel like I'm part of a community. Like the fact that I'm here talking to all of you, the fact that like, um, Alexa said, "Do you want to come and talk about this together?" I feel like I found people because I have always loved games that I haven't necessarily. Had a, a friendship group who who love it as much as I do, and mm-hmm. now I have uh, a group of people who I'm able to speak to as friends, as peers, in a it, uh, who respect this medium as much as I do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you, we'll
0: get to you in a second, Alexa. Well, mm-hmm. I want to ask this to you too. But what were your favorite performances when, like, you're growing up playing games? I was going to ask that too. So the most iconic
1: game video game performance. For me, growing up as a kid, was probably David Hayter as Solid Snake. It's the one. And as a as a as a guy doing impressions, you know, the kind of like Metal Gear mm-hmm. that sort of thing is like what you joke about doing. You know, Otacon. He just has this like unnes- unnecessary gravel. Like he just threw some dirt in his mouth and went, "Let's go and record." Um, but no, I I think that growing up. I, I I didn't really, th- you know, the ne- and obviously then the next one was kind of like watching Uncharted and seeing what they were able to do with the fidelity there. That really was probably the moment where video game, the fidelity of video game acting became amazingly apparent to me. Mm-hmm. It was the moment where I felt like there was an intersection between cinema and games. And I imagine, you know, there are other opportunities, like Bioshock as well. I think maybe Bioshock came before Uncharted or around the same time. I can't remember what it was, but the idea of like cinema, third-person cinema was Uncharted. And then I feel like it kind of went from there, but there is one performance that I talk about on podcasts when they say, what's, the, what's one that you just, you're just you so inspired by? And it's Tommy L. Jenkins in Death Stranding. Um, it's such a specific example, and if you haven't played 100 hours of Death Stranding, you'll never get to the point where it is, it's, it's it. And every now and again, I see people post about it on Twitter. He plays a character called Die Hardman, who is um, brilliantly named, and also is a quest giver. He's quite a boring quest giver. He'll just tell um, your character um, to go around and deliver stuff, You know, build a bridge, do that, whatever. And then at the end of the game, they decided to give him a monologue about his pain, his, his character, and it's out of nowhere. And when I tell you that Tommy L. Jenkins took that monologue and just went for it, it's it's so raw, it's so real, and it's unlike anything I'd ever seen in a game up to that point it was bare, it was gross. You could see kind of the snot coming out of his, it just didn't, it didn't need to be that intense. And I've seen brilliant video game performances, but this didn't seem like a video game performance. This seemed like something else. And I really think it's, if anyone just go and look at the clip, it's it's so unnecessarily good. Um, and I still hold it in such high regard and, I haven't met him yet, but we talk online. And I just, every time I just see someone tweet about it, I'm like, "Yep, that's the one. That's the performance. Watch that. That's what we should all aspire to do.
0: Mm -hmm. He's really, really amazing. Alexa.
2: Which question do you want me to answer first?
0: Favorite performances when you were playing games growing up?
2: I think the first time I became aware of, wow, I like you can write something and have someone really nail it uh, in video games is probably Jennifer Hale's M Shep. Yeah. I just that in a game where so much of the writing and so much of the direction is like you have these two, it's one of the first games that gave you like the two player option. That was pretty much the same, the same experience, but experienced differently in terms of like who you were getting. And I just remember listening to her and the way she spoke and like, moment to moment like i'm just in like enraptured by her voice i guess like something about her voice just kind of like skitters over you in all the right places like i really love her performances and i remember playing that game and listening to her and i'm like i could listen to this woman talk for hours so i really gravitate towards that and i also really loved to stick with mass effect um ali hillis is liara Mm -hmm. and when i when 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 i found it when I found out that she was playing a Final Fantasy hero in 13, I lost my shit because yep. she's like one of my favorite actresses ever. That was
1: a moment, wasn't it? Oh, she my was light, God. She was lightning and Liara.
2: Uh-huh. And she came on stage and I was like, oh, my God, my girl is lightning. Um, So good. Um, and then, obviously, to bring up Uncharted again, like, obviously, Nolan North is Nathan Drake. To to me, was, the f- again, like, the first time I became aware of the cinematic nature that games could be in now. Here we are in 20, the year of our Lord, 2023, where everything is cinematic now.
1: Yes. Do you not think, just to <clears> of like, we talk about, you know, Nolan North, it's kind of become a very obvious thing about how, of that period, how important Nathan Drake is. But Nolan North was in a lot of video games around that point. You know, he was he was quite ubiquitous. Uh, you know, he was, de- we don't go, we we'll don't really remember him as Desmond Miles. I don't really remember him. with well, they do. Oh shit, he was Desmond, but, but, yeah. But, then, but also <laughs> like, you know, he's, he, I think there's that moment where he's clearly a very, very gifted performer, but when you get that synergy between part and actor, that's when it's able to showcase what you can actually do. When the writing is there, when the, the and it's and it's finding that beautiful synergy, and you know, Nolan will be forever many, many other characters, but he will always first and foremost be Nathan Drake mm-hmm. because that is where clearly the writing and the character came together in that one moment to create something that was that transcended the medium in which it was being presented. Um, and it's, it is a cliche to say it, but it, it is just that good. It's just that iconic of a character. And I think it is really a touchstone for many, many, many actors who want to go into this industry. And it's quite boring to say, but it kind of is. And then the next leap was probably, again, The Last of Us, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's what Naughty Dog were doing at that time, where they clearly had the writers writing for the actors yeah
0: we'll, we'll get back into that i want to have alexa talk about how she broke into the industry too oh
2: okay you want me to relive my trauma for you okay
0: okay we don't have to <laughs> no 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 my <laughs> question. no
2: i um like i've obviously listened to a lot of uh a lot of episodes of this podcast and <sighs> i feel like so many of us have that the story for game writing where it's like, I was doing this thing, I didn't realize that game writing was a thing. And then you have this moment, like this canon event in your life where someone says, like, why aren't you doing this? Or hey, I thought of you, come do this. And that's kind of the story I have, but a little more painful. So, and I'm so sorry, I have no voice today. Uh, it's you guys are complicit in that. I, I, it was. I was doing freelance writing for some podunk like game blog, like a blogger like low like D-tier, D-list press um while I was working full time at the Boston University English Department while I was getting my masters in the intersectionality of film and um film and literature with an emphasis on medieval classic tropes and like romanticism and I, two things happened at the same time. I had a moment where I was at some press event. I had a moment where I was just kind of looking around and I was talking to people and I was like, I actually feel like this is the, this is where I need to be. And at the same time I had turned in a paper, um, about, um, the sort of going through the thematics of Mirror's Edge and my professor who was Signing my paychecks and grading my papers at the same time, which I can't recommend, um, told me that video games are not art and that the paper I didn't just gave me an F and was like, this was this is not acceptable. Like you have to, I don't know. He it was, it was unacceptable to him. And I was like, Listen, you old fart, I'm done. So I quit the master's program and I quit my job and I free-falled for a couple months, and weirdly ended up getting a job at Polygon as part of their launch team. So I was there with Polygon in like 2012. Um, They hired me because I had this extensive knowledge of like Japanese gaming and I was a little weird and I was a woman, got to fill that quota. Um, And I wrote with them for about two and a half years. And I did like their daily show. And along the way, I met a lot of really cool people Um, And I started to think, like, hey, maybe I want to write for games. I met Josh Sher, who you guys both know, because he was giving a talk at the Tribeca Film Festival about the cinematics of, I think it was the first Last of Us. Oh, no, no, no. It was Uncharted Lost Legacy. He was talking about, like, the cinematic narrative and whatnot. And uh, initially, Neil was supposed to be there, but Neil couldn't go. So Josh got swapped in. And I walked up to him afterwards, introduced myself, and was like, can I, like, interview you? And now we're you know, lifelong friends. Like yeah. I love Josh. He's incredible, but he was one of the first people that started talking to me being like, you know, you too can be a game writer. And I was like, well, I don't know. I didn't go to school for it. I don't know anyone. Um, I got poached by GameSpot. I moved to California. I was at GameSpot again for like two and a half years. And it brought me into the path of, uh, Hajime Tabata, the game director for Final Fantasy 15 mm-hmm. and type zero and crisis core. And I, Ended up like meeting the entire studio team at one point in Tokyo. And I had this really nice day with them and got to like see the game and talk to them way before I came out. And as I was leaving the building, he just like turns to me and goes, You know, you should be making games. And I was like, What do you mean to like the greatest
0: senpai. compliment? <laughs>
2: I know. He was like, You should really, you should really think about like being a being a creator because you have this. He said he said I had great power and I immediately melted into the floor. I was like, Thank you, Senpai. This is incredible. Um, but he was just so complimentary and was like, you have an eye for it. I want you to think about it. And so I went, okay. And I spent the next two years of my life completely just like ripping up roots, like destroying like this media personality that I had made. And, and I had, uh, I, during that time I did what's good games with Andrea and, and Brittany and I, I did anything I could to make sure I was playing, paying my bills while still ripping up the foundations of what i had thought my career was going to be and i started doing consulting work and i started doing freelance writing work that's when i worked on um my first big job was bug snacks which indie darling love that team shout out young horses and i don't know like something weird and and magic happened within those years and now here i am working with marvel on black panther and working on a bunch of other stuff i can't talk about um
0: talk about it
1: though. no we we'll we'll just bleep press.
0: it out yeah,
2: but, but just,
1: press the button press the button press the but, button but, Please, yeah. hang on. <laughs> love that game <laughs>
2: but it like i can't i i almost feel like i went into a fugue state in those years because the amount of the amount of work that i had to do to get to where i was was both like it was painful in a sense that and you guys can probably relate to this with game writing. It is so fucking hard. Yes, to get a to get a job game writing because everyone in their mom is like, "I want to write games," mm-hmm. and there's also this generation above us that are still like, they're still in their positions and they're still do, doing that. Hanging and on. Well, hanging on, but also <laughs> why won't have,
1: you just die? <laughs>
2: you said it, not me. Um, but no, like they have preconceived notions of what a game, what a, what game writing is. And one yes. of the questions you're going to ask us later, I'll get into this, but there's this like weird pretentiousness. And so it's, it's, and it's also subjective. So like I could hand in something that like 10 people tell me is beautiful. And this one guy will read it and be like, this doesn't follow the structure that I prefer. This doesn't I sound. That. I could mm-hmm. write that. Like, yeah. And, and it was just really, really hard. And so I spent a lot of years working on things that, won't see the light of day that you'll never hear about until I tell you off the air. Um I press the button. My
1: God, that sounds amazing. So,
2: <laughs> and um and 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 it was painful and it was hard because the other thing about game writing is like if you have no credits, even if it's like if it's something mm-hmm. that didn't see the light of day, you have zero credits. You people look at you and you go, you have zero credits. I've seen zero things you've made. Even if you have the freedom to take those samples and submit them as like this is my writing, like please hire me. Yeah. So I had nothing I could submit to anyone. So it was just like stuff I made by myself, stuff I was writing. Um, but eventually it got there. Um did great. Aztec did, I mean, it's I think it did great. I but I'm biased. Um and then I finally kind of made the decision, you know what, this is not working out freelance wise. This was in the, it was in 2020. Like everyone was, no one was hiring contractors. It was like, it was really, really tough. And I applied on a whim, totally on a whim to Sledgehammer Games because it was in Foster City, which is where I was living at the time. Yeah. And Stephen Rhodes uh, if you listen to this, I'm sorry, Stephen, um, he read my samples and we had like two conversations and decided that he wanted me in-house writing. So my first in-house in-house was working on a Call of Duty. Um, And I've never played a Call of Duty in my life. So <laughs> never admitted that before. So it was uh, it was an experience, but it was experience. So I was I've been able to take that and kind of run with it and go with it. But again, like along the way, I had a lot of the Stop and start of, oh, you have no credits. Like, I'm not going to take a chance on you. Oh, you've only done indie. I'm not going to take a chance on you. Oh, you've only done contract. I'm not going to take a chance on you. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, a lot of this, you weren't represented. You didn't have representation. There is no it's really only,
0: representation. We don't have representation. So we there don't. Is, we,
2: it's only us. It's just us. So, there yeah.
0: is, there's, we were represented for freelancing for a while by one of the few like games writing agencies and it worked out okay. But, like, most of the time when they talk about represent, representation, it's like, oh, we represent Neil Druckmann or ken levine or it's like the big the superstars uh they'll get representation because of like i want to adapt my thing into a movie and yeah stuff like that but there's not really because games writing is such a weird it's not the same as film because it's not
1: well it's I, not the I, same I, as film. but I, I think the whole thing like having gone from doing film and tv to coming into video games it's just completely different it's the wild west yeah even 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 being an actor it's the wild west because even agencies have no idea what really to do with performers in this industry no offense to agents listening but you kind of don't because there isn't really the precedent in the same way that like publicity publicists don't work in the same way because i feel like there is this sense of individual hustle there isn't a kind of there are the big there are the big fish but like everything underneath everyone wants to get into it in their own way and it's 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 kind of mad, really,
0: to think about it. It's kind of chaos. You have to do so much more extra work completely oh, yeah. than you would have like like even like 10 years ago.
2: Oh yeah. yeah. Had Thanks.
0: I had I done like
1: uh had I done a a big film or whatever, I wouldn't I would have paid a publicist to basically organize all the things that I'm doing afterwards. But like since this game came out, I've literally just done everything myself, reached out to people, because re- there is that there's that, it feels a lot more organic and you do have to work. Like I'm absolutely shattered now. And people have said like, oh, Square Enix, I put Ben to work. It's like, they kind of haven't, I've kind of done it myself because I've wanted to. And it's kind of hearing you say that I'm like, I kind of recognize that need to hustle a little bit. Could you succeed though if you had no online presence? Could I succeed? Yeah, hundred percent, but not in the same way. Yeah, uh, for all honesty, no. Like I, I turned up to PAX West after the release of Final Fantasy 16. and I would say more than fifty percent of the people recognised me more for doing a video pretending to audition for Mario than they did playing Final Fantasy 16. I have, so good. I have people, I have people come up to me saying, "I have never played Final Fantasy XVI, but I saw your this video, or I saw you do this." And I didn't expect that to be the case, um, I, but it has been this really great over the past you know, couple of months, it's really great back and forth, this call and response with the internet. I mean, by the time you're listening to this, I, chances are most of you will have seen the meme. Um,
0: it's, <laughs> what meme is this? Uh, <laughs>
1: you'd probably be blinded by it. Hang on, let me turn on one of these voices, maybe. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I, to answer your question, no, I, I don't think I would be, I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't be talking to you. I wouldn't be having conversations with people that I really care about and really respect if it hadn't been for me taking the initiative. Um, Because I recognized that there was that need to take the initiative and no one else was going to. Because people don't necessarily understand how nimble and mobile and proactive you have to be to just put your foot in the door and just say, hi, I'm here. Hi, nice to see you. I'm keen. And I would say this to... Um, anyone i'm i'll say this to you i make and all teams like i've just um started working working with the team on warframe and i've said to them like i'm available to you please use me i'm yours because i really enjoy having that relationship with companies and say i think i can help you with this project and and it's been a real joy and everyone over the I say everyone most people have been so wonderfully responsive to the idea of someone who's enthusiastic and is passionate about the product that they're making that they are you know and and it's been so great but to hear you talk about your story up to there I'm going I I see it I see it you kind of got it you mm-hmm. don't want to have to say that to people but you do have to work really hard
2: yeah it's it's two things um I'll get back to that in a second ben knows this story though this is a fun story so i was at dinner a couple of months ago, with some friends at another studio, and we were talking about like casting coming up, and someone at the table said to me, "I really want to cast that guy that that sexy Mario guy uh, on Twitter in one of my things." And he had no idea that Charles you were Marching in a video though. game. Yeah, and I was like just sitting there, like trying not to absolutely lose my shit, being like, you know, you're in a game. I was like, "Yeah, no, let me pull up the video, knowing full well what's going to happen." And I'm just like, "Oh, he looks nice."
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's so strange that it's all kind of panned out the way that it has but it's also been very tiring very very tiring like I I am tired (laughs) um but feel incredibly fulfilled you know and I it's been so lovely me going up to people at the game awards people who I really think are very cool people and saying how much I respect their work and then they come back to me and say they know who I am and Mm -hmm. I imagine it is kind of because I've, i I I think I did a good job in Final Fantasy Sixteen and I think people respect me for that. I don't think I'm, you know, being ridiculous without, you know, it's just like who is this Ben kid? Even play Final Fantasy Sixteen, you think, what a clown. But it's been it's been it's been a really, really amazing experience to go up to people whose work I respect and then kind of get some sort of feedback from that, mm. which is very, very unexpected.
2: Um, going back to my second point about the hustling, um, I feel like a lot of people think that coming from because I came from media, that it's you can make that tra- transition very easily. I know there are other writers in this industry that have made that transition yeah. from games media writer to video game writer. But the the, the fact of the matter is it's not like it's not a translatable skill. I don't feel it's a translatable skill. It's really not. It's something that you have to, it's a different type of writing entirely. And it's something you have to work on. And like you can write about games and not understand the nuances of kind of development design, how things come together to help you write to that structure. You could be, I mean, you could, uh, depending on what kind of things you're writing about in media or what, how you how you expose yourself to the industry as a media person. But it is a very different skill. So like anyone who's like in media or in press and is like I want to use press as a stepping stone to being a game writer like don't do that just start just start writing things now like that's not a stepping stone the one thing being in press did give me is it put me in the room with people that I otherwise would not have been in the room with if I didn't have this like extremely highly specific weird job and so for that I'm grateful but at the end of the day like that's like networking so
1: but there's networking and there's also like being nice Yes, I, yeah. I think n- yeah. I can't. I don't. You know, I can emphasize enough how important it is to not be a fucking dickhead. Mm. Because sorry to swear, but you can be. This, this is like, Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely but, Just no, no. be it anyway. <laughs> dickhead. Um, <laughs> because because you are working in these very intense environments, and I think that be, just just having a little bit of grace and a little bit of kindness, um, it it does come back around. Karma does come back around, and I've I. There are so many people working in this industry who want these jobs that I really don't think it's good to, because you're just not going to want to work with that person. You're not going to want to spend an intense, important, maybe extended period of time with them Mm -hmm. in and everyone's going to get angry. Everyone's going to get upset. But like, at least if you have an understanding of like general respect and kindness, and it comes from a place of love, then that's fine. But if you're just expecting more or you'll kind of get a bit of an ego, it's not a pleasant thing
0: to be around. No, doesn't it? Doesn't have to mean that, like being a dickhead. Like you're an asshole. It could be just like you think of relationships as transactional. Like yeah. what are you getting out of this person? Instead of like I'm, yeah. I want to know you because you're cool, and I want I have a connection fr- with you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I part of what I love about how, like I almost said incestuous. I not, wrong word, but like leave how. <laughs> <laughs> but, how, but how all of us sort of, like, end, end up in rooms like this. Like, I meet cool people, they have cool ideas, or I share an idea and they really like it. And it's like, hey, let's make something together. Let's work yeah. on something together. Like, that's what I love about this industry is you meet like-minded people that you that you can work with. And I also feel like a lot of us are, like, the weird lonely kids that grew up and finally found, like, all the friends that we wish we had when we were 8, 9, 10. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know anyone else. I too. had
1: loads of friends. I don't know who you're talking about. I really didn't. Sorry. <laughs> I really did. I, I used to sing to myself in the in the um, in the playground. Um, when I was a kid, my friends did take the piss out of me for this. Um, I when I was probably about four or five, I would sing a song from the film Tom Thumb, which was And I'd sing that to myself. Um, and I thought that it was such a nice song that people would like the song and would want to come and play with me oh if God. I sang ben. the song. Yeah.
2: Ben. It breaks,
1: it breaks your heart, doesn't it? Ben. And I genuinely, I remember thinking that, thinking, or oh, maybe someone will hear my song and they will like it and they will want to come and play with me. And, uh, so that's the kind of kid that I was. That, makes,
2: that makes me so sad. <laughs> I would have loved a friend like you when I was a kid because I got bullied for playing video games and being a girl. So girls didn't want to hang out with me. Boys don't want to hang out with me. Nobody. W- I was that weirdo kid that like would bring my Pokemon cards to school and yeah. wear like, like video game t-shirts. And like, I was just the absolute, I also grew up in like podunk nowhere, Connecticut. Like if any of you were listening, fuck all you guys. Um, but it, where, where it was just not like, it was a different time and it was just so unacceptable to be weird and dreamy. And to again, like video games were not, were not the industry they are now.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, I'm so sorry. That makes me so sad.
1: So, um, a friend of mine, uh, <laughs> he he will sometimes <laughs> he will sometimes just send me that song every now and again, just because he thinks it's the funniest thing. Um, we, I was doing a job. I was when I was on Jamestown. There's an actor called Burn Gorman, and he. Is, oh yeah, yeah, Burn. He is first, firstly, one of the most terrifying actors I've ever worked with. No, amazing, lovely man. But incredible like, voice. Such an incredible voice. Burn Gorman is. Is just a, just a, a complete talent, and he works with Guillermo del Toro a lot. He's just
0: really, really amazing. It's a very diehard hard man name too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he
1: and he is so cheeky. If like if he if he if he was a god, it would be Loki. Like he's just so funny and silly. Um, and he would just we I worked with him for three years, and sometimes he'd just come up behind me and just start singing the song my god! and every now and again he'll just send me out of nowhere like every couple of months he'll just send me the clip from tom thumb um because he just thought it was the funniest saddest thing he'd ever heard um and I, i love it i think it's part of my identity as a person and i kind of wear it proudly that because you know it was that weird young kid who didn't really understand how to socialize that found this thing that he really 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 liked and wanted to share it with someone and i think that has kind of informed me going forward of like i make friendships with people who share similar things so you know if i like this thing i want to share it with you and i get so much joy out of sharing the things that i like or i get so much joy out of people sharing the things that they like with me even if i don't like them it's why i love um just video game media in general It's why i love just going on youtube and listening to like three i i listen to like um do you ever watch uh noah caldwell gervais he does these like incredibly long like five hour rambling Um, essays on the importance of the Mass Effect trilogy and they just go on for so long and I will listen to them intently because this man loves something so brilliantly and the the analysis is so deep and I'll listen to stuff like that even if it's something that I don't care about because I love listening to the way people talk about the things that they love and so I you know I don't really play Call of Duty I don't really play a lot of those things but I still love people analyzing them. I love people going in depth and saying, this is why I like it. And I love people loving stuff. And that has been one of the most rewarding experiences about coming into this industry now and going to like conventions and hearing people come to me and talk about the stuff that they absolutely love. They're dressed up as a character that I've never even heard of before. And they're telling me how much they love it. I'm like, tell me more. I want to know all about it Mm. because that is, I recognize that burning passion to want to share something that is so much a part of their identity, um, and it is one of the kind of coolest things. We
0: well, haven't even gotten the questions yet. Yes. I Do your job. <laughs> I wrote one down. I was going to ask you more about your your masters have been useful, Alexa. Which my I think, masters? Yeah. No, okay. no, absolutely that not. It. That answers it.
2: I don't pay. Don't give. Don't give higher education in this this country any more money than we've already given it. Don't go if you don't want to go to college, kids. Don't go to college. I. Went the master's route because I thought that there was no other option for me at the time, and I was kind of stalling, becoming a big girl, um, getting a big girl job, and um, I was also very, <clears throat> very, very clearly denying myself and running from what I actually wanted to do, which was right. So it was a, a very expensive um, stalling tactic uh, for my own psyche. So do not do, do it. Do you not
1: think though? You look back. Um, to get a little bit philosophical about it, you wouldn't be here. It, it's it's the no, ju- it's the small yeah. it's the small tiny tiny journeys the the butterfly effect of the moment the ripples in 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 our past and in our future. How you would not be sitting at this table if it wasn't for all of the bad decisions you made. Mm-hmm. All the bad decisions will naturally affect all the good decisions that you're able to make as a result of them. And you know, you're right. Don't go to College maybe was it wasn't of any benefit to you, but at the same time, it kind of was because you were able still paying for it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) but it's 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 but it's paying for you now too. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) it's it's so. I think maybe we spoke about did we speak about this yesterday about probably uh, yeah probably spoke a lot about things. Um, but it's like that. All of the decisions, all the things that you wanted, the the choices that you made that you thought were going to be the life changing ones that end up being failure end up leading to the ones that are success yeah like i wanted this job so badly uh, on a tv show in the uk and i met the producers for it and i did a screen test tom thumb. Uh, it was to play right. and it was just to play it was just to sing the theme tune to tom thumb <laughs> i thought i've gone it i've been singing it since i was four uh went to someone else um but i want i wanted this job and i didn't get it and i thought that's annoying because that was the thing i immediately wanted and then i realized two months later that if i had got that job i never would have auditioned for final fantasy Um, and like that small, tiny moment could have led to that. And I just think all, you know, when one door closes, another door opens or whatever, open a window, whatever you want that metaphor to be. i I truly, truly believe in it. So every time I sit there and I go and I wanted something so badly, and then I don't quite get it. I have a moment to go, that's shit. That's really shit. And then think about all the amazing things that I am now able to do as a result of not having to do that one thing. And it, it's taken a lot of training and a lot of kind of, don't get me wrong, I get really sad when I don't get the thing. But at the same time, it's that adventure that's recollected in, tr- in tranquility afterwards. You're like, oh yeah, that was hard and horrible. But now look at me. Mm. Now look where I am. That's awesome. To be able to have that perspective, you have to live it. But it's quite cool to be able to be quite philosophical about your failures.
0: You should have gone to college. I <laughs> will <laughs> also say, just because I think it's cool, you're not the first or even second person who's come onto this podcast who has a medieval background.
2: Oh, medieval literature background? Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't. We keep doing it. I don't know. There's something about. So my my specific concent, my specific concentration was I was studying the medieval romantic like lay structure and the here and not the hero's journey but like the heroic structure of like stuff like Sir Gawain in The Green Knight and like all of that stuff and I was comparing it the what got me into the masters program was I wrote this 300 page paper analyzing The Lord of the Rings and the medieval like lay like structure yeah. and how that structure which is kind of like a dead structure like not a lot of people use it even huh, if you look at like high fantasy like writing now not like books and stuff, you can kind of see parts of it start and like Brandon Sanderson kind of does it a little bit, but we have wholly abandoned this like structure of of setting up heroes, of taking down heroes, of like what like of what it means to like use and have like vices, like like b- portrayals of intimacy beyond just like physical intimacy like there's other other types of relationships out there and we've kind of almost wholly abandoned it like you don't see a lot of it anywhere so that was what my master was going to my master's was going to be it was going to be taking pieces of media and being like these do it and this is why this should be a structure and a system that we should pick up again i might pitch a talk on this for gdc next year we'll see
0: sweet looking forward to that (laughs) book now (laughs) okay Almost 40 minutes in.
2: Oh my ask. God. This is going to be the longest episode you've <laughs> ever That's recorded fine. for We've sure. got
0: nowhere to be. <laughs> I'm stranded in Los Angeles. <laughs> I want to do the, the new question based on what Ben was talking about for the podcast. Just ask,
2: every, right. ask all, right. all of yeah, them. Yeah, we're here. Ask all of them.
0: Ben, you were talking about this before we started recording, but like, what are the hardest skills to do in games that aren't really in film and TV and theater? Yeah. So... W-
1: when, when you are acting for film and TV, there's the obvious thing, right, where you have a scene with someone and you you say a line, they say a line, you say a line, they say a line, it probably escalates and it comes to a conclusion and then you move on. That's that's acting, right? That's what we understand. And that is probably one of the easiest skills to translate between doing something that's film and TV and video games. It's the classic scene structure. It's what you're taught at drama school. And that is a skill that you will know if you are a trained actor. What you won't know and what you have to learn, or at least you are, might be familiar with if you play games, is if, especially if you're playing a protagonist is it if, if someone is playing with you and i mean that in all the suggestive ways but so if someone is playing with you they have agency over you but that also means that you as an actor have to give a performance which recognizes that you are you have a symbiotic relationship with that player and so the it's those what we call party chat lines it's the lines where you are walking from a place to another place and the obvious one would be wow, look at that mountain, you know, like that essentially. But then it's the ones where you are just talking to yourself, but in fact you are instructing the player what to do. And you have to thread that needle incredibly finely. And it is such a skill. And some people do it better than others. Um, And you can hear it in in games. And you can can kind of tell when the actor knows what they're doing or has at least studied what they're doing. Mm. And I, when I was doing Clive studied this i was so aware that we were going to be doing this so i stole from ashley birch in um horizon she does it better than anyone because my god does um does aloy talk to herself aloy talks to herself in in forbidden west actually she says a line um sounds like the waters change direction which is one of the most stupid lines i've ever heard in my life and also stupidly brilliant lines I've ever heard in my life because what that is telling the player is that you've done something correctly and she's something like sounds like the water's changed direction and it's such a weird line to say but it tells the player that they've done the right thing and you move on and to be able to sell that is incredible and so we uh when we were recording it Ollie um Chance and Morgan Rushton um the two of the um performance directors and and Writers I'd work with on sixteen, we would say the line sounds like the water's changed direction, because um, it's that's the that's the quality of the line that you have to give. Um, or when you're going down and picking up some flowers, and it's like, how many flowers have I picked up? You've got to kind of go, oh, sounds like that's enough, you know. Like, and but you're not like and no human being would really say that. You recognise that's an artificial construct. But it has to sound believable, especially if you're playing for like 40 hours. So yeah, it was Cameron Monaghan in Jedi Fallen Order. Um, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order I studied because of the way his relationship with um, BB-8. Is it BB-8? Yep. BD- BD-1. 81. With BD-1. His relationship with BD-1. Um, because I knew that Clive would do a lot of talking to Toggle. So it was like, what does he do there? And just like listening to what kind of the industry standard is and how that works. I mean, the best there ever is at it is obviously um it's nathan drake does it perfectly it's just it's it's the archetype it works but i chose to kind of like study a lot of more kind of like open worldy style more immediate things at that time and that is a skill that i don't think everyone can do nor can they do battle barks like or understand that and it it shouldn't be you know a skill skill that you need maybe but it is and it is acting in in a completely different way understanding the physicality of um what it's like to get punched or what it's like to punch what it is like to throw an axe what it is like to um make a noise where okay ben you're going to just um hop two centimeters up in the air or it's what happens when your body is just touched ever so slightly so it's like like that, you can barely hear it, but you have to give that. And understanding what that scale is and what the character is going to do and how they're going to move, um, those things you cannot be taught. Really, you kind of just have to know them. It's like the Matrix; you have got to see it for yourself. Yeah. And um, uh, I'm so thankful that I was given so much runway to figure that out doing this game, because these are skills that I will take onto every single project. If people say, Oh my God, what's it, you know, what advice can you give me? I genuinely am like, I don't really know. But now when I go back and do other jobs, like I, I'm like, Oh, I actually do know what I'm talking about. Like recently I was doing a job where I had to match, I had to match sound waves and that's hard. So, if you if you've if you've got someone, let's say it's in another language, let's say our, out of thin air Chinese, okay, it's a Chinese performance, and they've localized it into English. And what they need you to do is make it make the English, which is not the same as the Chinese, sound all the beats and the mm, 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 the rhythm has to be identical, mm. but with completely different words at exactly the same amount of time, and that is really difficult to do, but I really enjoy it because I see it as kind of like a puzzle. I, I will take it on and I will listen to it twice and I'll kind of like feel it out of my mouth and see how it sounds and then do it in one go. And most of the time it kind of works because it's just kind of rhythm. It's the same as probably drumming or playing an instrument. It's like, have you got any sort of rhythm? But I, four years ago, could never have done that. I could never, ever have done that. And it's only through the kind of the confidence and understanding like my own abilities doing this job that I'm able to go, oh yeah, that's actually not just not difficult, it's actually quite fun to do. Yeah. Um, and also maybe the confidence to fail. Um, I, I feel like I failed so much doing this game and I was bad so much of the time that I've embarrassed myself so many times that I don't feel the same shame that I would have done um, four years ago in a in a booth. I'm, I'm okay to kind of try something and not be good at it because I'm like, I can be good within, with enough time. And I think that, that produces a level of confidence in the booth that means that I can be a better and more free performer with the words that are given to me. So, just giving good answers all the time. Well, yeah.
2: no, my answer is actually the same stuff that you just mentioned for writing, because so many people just say, oh, like, it's TV and film. You write a script. It's a game. You write a script. You're forgetting <laughs> all the gamey shit. Like, you're forgetting your barks. You're forgetting your... um." Forgetting your the the stuff you were talking about like like talking to yourself giving the direction. Reminding lines. You have to write so many lines that that let the player know something has happened, something has changed. Uh, frequently, games use will lean on dialogue for like hints if you miss something in the environment, yeah. or if like I think of um the the Tomb Raider reboot where if you need a hint, Lara will say something. Like yeah. you have to think of those too. Or if you're doing a really um doing a game like um I don't know like. I'm going to use Vanguard as an example. So on Vanguard, we would have these objectives in certain levels, and we would use dialogue to, to indicate where you needed to go. So it would be like looking through binoculars. Here's the map. Okay. And you have a person talking over you. You need to go to the bunker and specifically do this. And then after that, you're going to do this. This is where I'm going to be. And then you go here. So in that, you have to tell the player, this is the direction you're going to take. This is what you have to do. And this is the reason why all of these people are not with you right now. And you're using spoken word to get there. And I imagine the impetus is to try and make that sound, you know, dramatic and fun or whatever. But you really can't. Sometimes you have to literally write the like, I'm going to go over here and do this. I will see you later. Bye. Like, you have to include those directions. And when you're doing something like. Um, battle barks, or you have a live service game like Apex or League or Fortnite. You have to have dialogue that very clearly indicates when something has happened, like oh, someone dropped a loot box, someone launched a helicopter, someone whatever, to indicate to the player something is happening that they cannot see but that they have to be aware of. And so often, again, like we get there, a lot of people feel like it's one to one for both, and it's not because understanding the barks and the and all of those things requires a certain, not like a deep, deep understanding, but a certain understanding of game design and how games are made and how games are played. Like, I think you can't be a game writer if you've never played a video game. Like, I feel like you have to be consuming what is out there and what is happening in order to understand writing for it because you see the things like getting touched and having to make like a little noise or having to, you know, the 1000 different lines that indicate to you what you're doing at any given time. So I, that's the thing when people ask me, oh, I want to transition from screenwriting to games, what do I have to do. I'm like, go play a bunch of video games and listen, really listen.
1: Yeah we're really we're really in the advent sorry to interrupt your question but we're really we're like, stop asking the question <laughs> we we're, re- we're really in this kind of um adolescent period of video games where we're all kind of still learning at a quite awkward rate what's possible mm-hmm. and really pushing the boundaries you know it's such a young medium and um i at the beginning of the year i played a fantastic game called chained echoes and it is um a chrono trigger like game um that's an old it very much an homage to like old school uh 16-bit jrpgs um and the writing on that is fascinating because the writing is not meant to be spoken out loud it's meant to be read and so within that writing you can be far more explicit and you can be far more obvious and on the nose than if someone was meant to say it because i started like saying some of these voices out loud and i went god you'd never say that you wouldn't be able to say that but when you're not voicing something you have far more um, yeah far more runway to be able to write something that is a lot more obvious because you, we are we are using our own brain to kind of piece those together and imagining imagining a voice say it as opposed to actually saying it out loud so the more we act these things the more it requires a significantly higher sense of deafness Mm. get us there and it's that it is that symbiosis of 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 writing and performance to 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 kind of make it seem that the the artificial nature of what we're doing isn't actually there um and it was a lot easier before because you didn't have to hear it out loud as soon as you say it out loud like that's weird i wouldn't say like that um and that was one of the one of the challenges we had on final fantasy 16 um is trying to get that that make it sound real um, and honest despite guiding a person in the direction that they need to go mm-hmm.
0: related to both of your answers there's another thing another factor i think that is hard to deal with with any kind of game writing is this character actually say this kind of thing and mm-hmm. like, spend their personality like why nathan drake and like no notice is so good at why he's such a good performer like nathan drake that personality can say kind of anything because he's like Sarcastic and cheeky, like it makes sense that he would talk to himself and like he can do all this reminder dialogue. But other characters, it doesn't make sense why they would talk to themselves. You have to try to write, like, how can I make it in this mind have some kind of logic, like, oh, I'm hurting or something that reminds player, like, yeah, you're about to die. You should go get some health or like, I need to, I need some stims or whatever kind of thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I will, I will say, I have seen dialogue used as a band aid very very often for things that should be like a ui problem or
0: design problem or a design problem we cut through this level so we have to get through all the information and like do it through combat yeah. which is like the worst thing to try like good yeah. luck making the players pay attention to what, what we're fast have to do now with like getting through narrative like mm-hmm. uh, i can't bleep yourself <laughs> i'm tired
2: <laughs> bleep yourself right now <laughs> i'm tired
0: i'm sorry um getting through is like when you when you're being forced to like we have we cut we had to make cut to this level so the uh-huh. Information that we were spacing out over time mm-hmm. to let the players ingest it. Now we have to shortchange it and like you're going to force feed it maybe during combat when they're going to be really hard to pay attention to. Oh, yeah. And that's never fun to do.
2: A lot of like, look over there, turn around. Like,
0: the challenge, stuff like that. Yeah. The challenge of making any game, like any reminder, can you write a reminder line without in a game without them saying gotta? Gotta do, gotta uh, get over uh, there. Yeah, yeah. What God, if I- gotta,
2: I have a list of banned words that like if I, when I'm working with teams, if anyone hands me something for editing and I see it, I'm just like, yeah. gotta is on my band words list we had
1: that we had that on final fantasy there were there were lines that like um koji ollie and morgan would just be like clive cannot say these lines ever and it's because it just wasn't that i mean i mean morgan rushton is very 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 talented but fastidious and is is he that nothing gets past that man and you know i would make a suggestion sometimes what about this You go, nope. Nope, I simply refuse for that character to say that because of X, Y, and Z. And they just, it was amazing having these people who were just completely in charge of the vernacular being like, these are our limits of going, we can't do this in order to do it. Um, and also, when you're doing a more well, 40-hour game, there's only so many times that you can say certain words before you go, oh no, someone's going to make a supercut of them. I mean, someone made a supercut of Clive saying, all right. Um,
2: I saw that. Yeah. I saw that.
1: Yeah, because he does. He just says, all right. And when people said, you know what, will Clive Life's catchphrase being probably be all right, like that is how many times he says it, but over a 40 hour game, you don't realize it. But like, you have to try and cut it down. But when you are essentially, f- you know, not fetch questing, but when you are doing tasks for other people, what other affirmations are there?
0: But that you can do like that. I'm totally cool because like that is realistic. Like, someone has like things their go to is they would say in a situation like that when it's a reminder dialogue. That is a little just yeah. weirder because you don't do that normally. Mm, no, it's a thing where we. I can't talk about the specifics of this. But just like <laughs> like writing barks where at certain times like when like the joke is when you have like writing tests like can you say grenade five different ways? But like sometimes you just grenade's the thing you need to say. And it's yeah. like just the actor they're different actors, like they're gonna say it differently inherently. But like we people worry about like if a like a line is like more less than three words long, don't worry if someone else says the exact same line because like just the actor's gonna get it done and you're gonna it'll be more um artificial trying to like I'm going to make this the most unique sounding lie. They'll just sound crazy, insane saying it no matter what.
2: Um, the incomparable Sam Maggs, who I got to work with on Vanguard, has this, this tweet that went viral that was like, game writing is having to write reloading 27 different ways, which was what we had to do because that's something that for that multiplayer they'd wanted like, they'd wanted 20 different ways of saying like putting more ammo in my gun reloading. And then you stretch that across 18 characters that all have to be different. It got to a point where we were like, we're just going to have them all say reloading. Like the the gamer doesn't, they know they, they, all they need to know is what is happening. It doesn't have to be this like beautiful work of art. There's a, there's a point where we have to just give it over to the actors and be like, say reloading 20 different ways. You tell, you figure it out for us and you tell us how you feel about it. I'm happy to
0: do that though. It's very silly. Give us five right now. I. Okay. What, what reloading? Go through the full emotional range of reloading. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I, I, part of me was going, "Yeah, I want to do that." No, no, no I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, but
1: I think you could do five different ways. But yeah, um, I, well, yeah I mean, you definitely yeah, can prove it. <laughs> no, I, say, I think there's only four ways of saying it. Um, but like, yeah, I think that that is a very. It's interesting when actors are allowed at least some sort of. Um, ability to add something to the process because you know whenever we when, whenever we're being creative uh, anyone whether it's you know i imagine writing or or acting or anything we want to create the definitive version of the thing that we're creating we want to be like this is defined but then you forget that there's always going to be, we're all just icing our own work. We're all just kind of changing and adding to the alchemical process that is whatever it's going to end up being. Like even when the act, when when I do a line, I know that's going to be mixed in a certain way or added on top of it. And you want to give the most emotional, important aspect of this, but you forget that like I'm adding... I'm adding the butter, you're adding the salt. It's all of that. And so it's kind of that trusting moment of going, okay, I'm going to give you what I'm going to give you in that and then allowing everyone to kind of take it from there because we always want to we always want to kind of put the button on it. Whenever I do a dramatic scene in in 16, I'd want to make people feel something in that moment. I would want to have I would want people to feel the finished product as I was doing it, which is kind of impossible because you take away from the fact that you've got the cinematics, you have the 30 hours of story leading up to that moment. You have, most importantly, the music, which does 80% of the heavy lifting in any sort of thing, really. You can do the performance, but you add the music. Um, There's a moment, actually, towards the end of the game. um, and I'm not going to say what it is, but it's very, very dramatic. Um, And it's this nine-minute kind of epic emotional cathartic sad scene um and um my uh, our audio engineer fred proud um who he he, um edited the golden girls theme tune hell yeah over (laughs) over the top of it and so you have, so yeah. there is a cut somewhere in the vaults that I think Fred has, which we, I think I even watched it a couple of months ago. He showed it to me again. I was like, "Show us the Golden Girls cut and, um, <laughs> of that scene, which he edited over of me, of me doing my thing, and um, of there just being." Thank you for being a friend. And it's, <laughs> it's just, it's it's heartbreaking, but also absolutely hilarious. And it's amazing how it completely changes the tone. Yeah. you know, I put my heart and soul into this thing. I'm bearing everything raw. But you know you, you just you're just thinking of the ladies really at the same time, it's really it's but it's it and it just changes it just changes what the scene is, you know, and so when we're given something, I think actors quite like being given the opportunity to add their ingredients to your work mm. um, and sometimes it might work, you want to give us as much guidance as possible, so we have the freedom to fail better, yeah, you know it's like we're all failing, but it's like, how can I fail more comfortably um and um. Yeah, app, it's 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 cool. So yeah, if you say to me, say a grenade five times or whatever, we'll figure it out. You know, it's and then it's up to then an editor or a mixer or a director
0: to to get us to where we need to go. I will say for band lines, uh, Lauren, me past guest, uh, writer, on Spider-Man 2, told me like she never wants to see anyone else put in a script. What the have any character say? That's it. on
2: my list too. Just say, just say what the fuck. Was, just get it out.
0: It's that and a villain running the corner going well 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 <laughs> she really hates hearing that
2: that is cheesy as fuck though
0: yeah 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 i want to ask a question while you were talking just we've never worked on a game with like as long as final fantasy like when you were like working the scenes in there like how much context are you getting up front to get emotionally into the scene um i knew the story really early on so i was always given
1: appropriate context i I think that I am a very instinctual actor. Like I don't, I don't like being given much direction and that isn't, that isn't me saying I don't want direction. I just don't need you to tell me everything. Mm -hmm. I need you to give me three or four words that are actionable to do and I'll go for it. And usually you'll be able to tell if anyone ever works with me, um, you'll, it'll be like four or five sentences what you want? And i go, great, I've made up my mind. And you can tell, yep, got it, got it. And then you need to go because there's just something kind of going within me that I want to work on. So a lot of the stuff that works in the game best is the stuff where um, the team gave me some very simple direction and I was able to play that, play it within comfortable boundaries where I was able to kind of add what I needed to do to it. So um, they would always give me the appropriate context. By the time I was doing this we started we had quite a f- I don't want to get too much into it but like it's a, it's a long 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 process um and it ended up with um Morgan and Ollie being the primary performance directors on it because you know you, you people come in and out of the process um and there was a period where we were kind of coming in and out of performance directors um because Hannah left to go and work on Alan Wake 2 and I I was the one person who they kind of didn't really need a performance director for, because by the time we got to that two-year period or whatever, I knew better than any other director they could get in what was required. And if anything, they would get in our way. And I mean like Koji, Ollie, Morgan, they would get in our way. So then Morgan and Ollie kind of inherited the role because they knew it better than anyone else. And um, they we just had this... I'll probably never have it again this just complete and utter trust and understanding in each other's work um and often morgan could tell me five minutes worth of law which would be really really helpful or he'd just be like do it like this and it, it also got to a point where morgan is so specific about often what he wants that um i would just say can you give me a line reading and a lot of actors would kind of gasp and i go no 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 but he'd give me he'd give me a line reading and i go that's it great i didn't think that and it's perfect it's exactly what he wanted in his head but i'm going that's exactly what i'll do and i'm not going to give you that line reading but i'm going to give you a version of what i would do for that mm. and then it's that brilliant blending of the two things you know um and i really enjoy that process because it it, it is challenging it's frustrating but it's ultimately rewarding um of finding what your relationship is going to be with the performance director. But four four years is you learn a lot. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about endurance. Um, I, ha- I questioned my abilities as a performer because they're just completely laid bare. Um, I didn't think I was very good at a lot of the time. I put so much pressure on myself. I thought I was letting so many people down. Um, uh, and I can't tell you how scared I was when the game was coming out because I thought, oh, I've, I've screwed this franchise up for people. I really, really have. There's the pressure that I placed on myself. I went, I don't think I would be able to, it sounds dramatic, but I don't think I'd be able to live with myself if the franchise that I loved the most in the world, I screwed it up for everyone. Mm. And no one was asking me to place that pressure on myself, but I just did. I just did. And so I'd say the week that that game released was one of the worst weeks of my life. Probably. Because of how much I was nervous that people were gonna react badly to what I did, I was going to be the reason um and uh it's a it's a scary thing because so much happened to me in those four years um and it's the reason why i've I've placed so much in the kind of the wake of of the release of that game of like the past four years can't be for nothing mm. they can't be for nothing. I have to make something of this um and, uh, I've made amazing friends, but very much fortunate, kind of the crucible of the creative process, which is both amazing and terrifying and heartbreaking and, and, um, really painful, a really painful experience. Um, God, it sounds really dramatic, but it really was, God, it was painful. Like it just, the stuff that was being asked of us, uh, and like, I was only kind of the tip of the iceberg, but was asked of me to do at times. I was like, oh, this is quite hard. Um, because I've said it before, but my dad died when we made this game. And the day after, I would say like four days after I gave the eulogy at his funeral, I had to do a scene at my, this isn't really a spoiler, but my fictional father's grave. Um, And it was, that was hard. That was really hard um, to do because you just think, and I think it's one of the lines, which is like, you're the greatest man that I ever knew, or like the greatest man I knew. And that's kind of not Clive saying that, that's me. And it's how do I separate those two things? Like, mm. I'm being asked to relive pretty much what I did four days before, but I meant to put that into a video game that's then gonna be immortalized. So every time I watch that scene or someone watches that scene, I remember exactly where I was because I was like, oh yeah, that was four days after I buried dad. And it's just a weird old thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, everyone has their own experiences. I feel like I've kind of ranted about it a little bit, but it's 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 such an important game for me because of what happened to me in my life, as much as the product that was created. Um, but yeah, you gotta you gotta keep going, and I like being honest about it. I don't want it to be like, God, what a fun time we had on yeah. this game. Like, not really, not really. At times it was amazing, At times it was absolutely awful. But I, if I didn't have the people who I had, and and you know, Koji, Morgan, Ollie. Um, the team at Side UK, I wouldn't have been able to get through it. I wouldn't have been able to get through it um, because it's just far too much. And they said that I'm the single actor inside who's worked the most on a singular project they've ever had. So they they recorded like The Witcher 3 there, Assassin's Creed, Dragon Age, everything. But they've never had an actor who's been consistently in for one role over an extended period of time. Um, and I lived there. They gave me a lanyard. They, they, so i could get in and out of the building that doesn't happen inside um i felt like i lived in that building and um it's it's been the the you know it's like filming like five seasons of a tv show or something all at once mm. but yeah so that really
0: do you have any idea how many lines of dialogue you have no <laughs> because
1: also it isn't the number it's not the number of lines that i had um whenever you do you i imagine you guys know this when you do um a project, you're probably given a director is given a line count line count for an hour. So it'll be like, right, we need to do 32 lines an hour, we need to do 64 lines an hour. It really depends on the project. You're doing a mobile game, it's like, let's get 80 lines an hour out, which is ridiculous. But they don't care about the quality, they care about the quantity. It's like we need noises to fill space. This was at times we were down to ten lines an hour Mm. because of what was being required of us, because it was essentially performance capture what we were doing. So we needed to get it right. And there were times where I'd, I'd ramp it up and I'd be at 60 lines an hour because we're just getting through it and I'm really in the in the groove. And I was doing between four and, at times, eight hours a day um, on stuff because um, of how much we needed to get done. And because this is being localized into five different languages, five other languages, they needed to get my stuff done first so then they could kind of like dub to what we were doing. So I felt a responsibility of, of getting all of that stuff done really, really early. Um, And, uh, yeah, it just, it was, it was the quality of what we were doing was much more important than the quantity. And it was nice that, and I I think it was Koji who really fought for that. He was the one who was saying to the team in Japan, like, we need to get this right. Um, And it's testament to him really fighting the fight on that end, which was like, if you want the quality that you want, you can't rush this process. And that's why. So, you know, I imagine there are actors out there who say way more in the game, in games than I do. But it was just, we need to get Clive right. And we need to get these, these scenes
0: done brilliantly. That's awesome. I'll do an Alexa question. Are there any themes or characters, kinds of stories that you keep returning to in your writing?
2: I, okay. I've been very open publicly about the fact that I have like, crippling anxiety like from day one and so i find that um i have officially i have panic disorder i have adhd i've got the whole nice cocktail of everything great that creatives shouldn't have um but i tend to kind of fall into explorations of that like characters that are grappling with existence in some way through the lens of Anxiety is about who they are, where they belong, who they are in relation to the people around them. Like, do the people I love know I love them? Do they actually love me? Is this all, like, fake? Like, every freaking scenario that you could possibly possibly conjecture. Um, because anxiety, unfortunately, is uh, – for unfortunately for real life, but fortunately for someone who produces stories for a living, anxiety is a time machine. And it is never about – what's happening now it's about what has happened in the past and critiquing it and thinking about could i have done that differently like what if it went this way like where would i have liked for it to gone and then manufacturing scenarios into the future of where you want things to go where you want people to go like st- stuff like that and like i have doctor who'd myself everywhere especially into like planes of existence that don't exist which is where a lot of my writing comes from but i tend to really um therapize myself a little bit when i write um some of the things that I have discovered as time has gone on, like as I move into different phases of my life, like similar with the Game Awards made all those jokes about being over 30 and like your body deteriorating, but like it's it's i i am definitely writing about different things and feeling about different things than i did when i was like in my in my my 20s because and i just dated myself great but when i was in my 20s i was you know you think you're immortal you're like oh i'm in my 20s i've got all this time ahead of me and so the things that you are anxious about and the things that you think about are way less different and now that i'm in this new phase of my life it's constantly like oh my god i'm at the point where like maybe I will start deteriorating. Like people weren't meant to live this long. All my ancestors were dead by the time they reached this age. Um, And I just like to explore, you know, at that, at this point, my anxieties are about the people around me and my legacy and not like, Oh, like, what am I going to leave behind? Like what (laughs) I'm this like writer. I need to leave my magnum opus behind before I die. No, it's just like, do I have one already? Do I even want one? Like, do I need one? Is my legacy with people? Is my legacy like a project? Is my legacy like I inspire one person who goes off and then makes the thing that changes the world? Like what is that? Um, And I've become a lot more, both a lot more open-minded in how I think about other, how other people factor into those anxieties and how I process them and how I write about them and then also sort of not close-minded that's the wrong word but like I am not so hard on myself anymore about where that's coming from like I'm still a tortured writer like don't get me wrong like I cry every day it's great but um shout out to my therapist who definitely listens to the stuff that I make um but yeah that's kind of where I tend to gravitate towards like that 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 crippling fear of being alone and grappling with like where what does it mean to exist in the framework of is it you who has to define why you exist, or are you defined by other people, or are you defined by how other people make you feel, how you make other people feel? Like, where is that definition? That's very dark. I know. I know you were expecting me to say like, "Oh, horny fantasy." No, I wasn't. But yes, you were. But that's that's where a lot of the stuff that I'm working on now tends to like fall into. Yeah, and I think that there's. I think that there's a lot of. I, I don't think I'm alone in that. I, there's a lot of fertile ground there as well. I know that, um, especially for people that write in games, like you're not writing something alone. You're writing something that like a 300-person staff is working on. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that comes into that anxiety, comes into that writing, is sort of thinking about you're doing that with a group of you know 300 people. You're going to write a scene. You're going to hand it in. Someone's going to look at it. You're going to hand it to an actor. You're going to hand it to a design a, d- a level designer an encounter designer and they're going to look at it and be like oh, this writer is so fucked up like yeah. just i've definitely gotten feedback on stuff i've written being like are you are you okay like where did this come from because when you're writing it always comes from somewhere it doesn't come from nowhere i
1: <laughs> I, I, I think about that a lot i think you're describing kind of the idea of kind of nature versus nurture sort of thing
2: like, a little bit yeah. like
1: the the idea of what is us and what is us in reaction to the world around us, Mm -hmm. um, I'm always fascinated by the idea of what would happen to me as a person if my entire memory was erased right now. If I was reduced, if all the things that I knew in the world, all the things that I'd learned in in however old I am, 35, uh, in my 35 years, if that was taken away and I was reduced to me primal, what would my primal instincts be? How would I rebuild myself? Would I be? Have I taught myself, in fact, to not be as competitive as I am inherently? Mm. And I think that is such an interesting topic of going. What is my my nature when my knowledge and all of my learned and patterned behavior is taken away? What are my primary? Uh, what is my 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 primal instincts? And I'm so always fascinated by that. I always think, God have i have I trained myself through my life experiences to become the person that I am today, or is there something still kind of innately this is the kind of person that I am, or have I learned to kind of like navigate the awkwardness of my grosser aspects of my actual you know being sorry they got deep but like i i do i I think about it a lot like a lot a lot um because I'm constantly as an actor thinking about the ways in which I am presenting myself to people not just as a as a performer in my performances because we are obviously asked these questions all the time you have to examine humanity um, but as a person who presents themselves in an artificial way for a living, it's interesting to question how I present myself in an artificial way in life um, and yeah. As a result, that idea of going, are we who we are, or are we actually the subject of the relationships that we have? I question a lot.
2: Um, kind of piggybacking off that, <clears throat> the other like tangential thing that shows up in my work a lot is exploring different forms of intimacy beyond just like fighting and fucking. Like there are so many more ways to. To write a character relationship, write a relationship between two characters that is not just like, oh, we're enemies and we hate each other, or like, oh, like we're in love or whatever. I'm gonna, I can't believe how long did we, how long have we been recording? Uh,
0: one hour and fifteen.
2: I made it an hour and fifteen minutes before I've mentioned Kingdom Hearts, and I'm gonna bring it up now. Um, I think about that how the core relationship of that series is a very strong intimate friendship between two boys who kind of grew up comparing themselves to each other and part of the journey of that series is both of them realizing that they don't it was never about the comparison and they were never like like both of them absolutely thought of themselves as like i'm the main character and he's the sidekick like you can see that in their dialogue throughout the series but what they both come to realize is that it's not that we were a hero and sidekick it's that we were a team the entire time and we can they are defined in the context of each other like riku has this really beautiful line that's like the luckiest thing about me is i have a friend like you that's kind of paraphrasing the line but you can define yourself in relation to how you feel about others and how they feel about you but now i'm like getting emotional about it but it's very it's very much um like the male intimacy like i wrote this whole thing on final fantasy 15 about it as well about how like everyone was mad that there were no female like the female characters were really less prominent but i argued That's not what this story is about. It is about male friendships, like really intimate male friendships because everyone, like the whole internet was like, they're sleeping in the tent together and they're looking at each other. And I'm like, "Let just let them do it. Like whatever they do in that tent is up to them, but it's a really strong portrayal of dudes that just get to like be dudes. And like, again, like I'm not a dude and I don't have any like dude relationships, but I do have that a lot with female friendships, which is something that I think has been explored a lot. But also just like, in terms of intimacy you can have intellectual intimacy you can have like a non-physical attractive intimacy you can have like Im- like a strong emotional connection with someone and not want to like you know make out with them or anything because i feel like we get a lot of media and a lot of and this is maybe fan culture kind of affecting it we get a lot of media that's just like straight up horny it's like there it's like you're either like the end game is having is having sex for everything and it's like why can't the end game be like these two people become like bros for life and like go off into into the sunset to like wreak havoc together like why does it always have to be about this physical primal thing like you can have that intimacy with someone without that and that is something that i i mean i've that is something that i hope to in like stuff i'm writing really um sort of remind people
1: it's quite. It's oft, often. Often I, fi- I can find writing quite reductive when the pursuit, and then ultimately. Um The the consummation of whatever it is is the the act of kissing or the act of sex. It's that we are in pursuit of finding a connection that ultimately ends in a physical connection that we need to see. So a lot of writing is like, that is when the moment happens, when the couple who've been flirting for a while finally kiss. That is the moment that satisfies us because it ends in that physical consummation. But it's, it doesn't have to be that and in fact there is a there is a brilliant film called The Worst Person in the World um, and there is this, there is this, it's laid into chapters where one of them is called Cheating and it is absolutely amazing and it is this woman who has a has a boyfriend and it is this, she, meets, she just decides she's going to go into this party, this house party that she's not even a part of. She kind of pretends to be someone else. And then she meets this, she's very, very sexually free. And she meets this other guy who is incredibly charming, incredibly handsome. And they just have this moment in time, this moment that starts from when it's dark to sun up. And they do not consummate anything. They do not kiss. They do not, they do everything, but it's this incredible emotional, sexually charged connection. And nothing happens. And then she goes home. And it is, it's everything. They basically do everything, but they don't touch. And it is so wonderful and such a a, a kind of a, a terrifying exploration of what the act of cheating is, because it's, it's emotional, it's sexual, but none of that is consummated physically. And it's so against everything that we would imagine to be cheating because then she goes home and she didn't kiss him. But she did. Like, she did. I mean, it, she basically mind-fucked the guy. It's absolutely incredible. But it, the idea that, like, that, the physical act itself is is more important than the emotional baggage that comes with it. Um, and I think that kind of those kind of connections are really really exciting to kind of explore and that film does it brilliantly and I would recommend watching that film it's it's a
0: it's a banger film mm. it'll be in our show notes great that stuff is I think also designers usually or developers have kissing or sexual activity or something like that as the end point of a relationship because that's like the easiest thing to gamify like that's mm. like a clear signpost and it's harder just like how do you maintain a relationship yeah well they never do it's never it's never
1: relationship maintainer simulator, yeah. is it? It's it's like it's <laughs> dating, a good idea though. It's yeah. well it's it, I think it's really interesting that um games that we love, Mass Effect Two being a great example. Let's say you Mass Effect two, um you 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 fall in love with someone the moment that you're able to have sex with them in the game. And once you've had sex with them, then you can go off and they don't die in the bombing mission. And it's weird it's weird because it's 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 kind of how we've gamified the act of relationships which i actually think is quite harmful when it comes to yeah, yeah it's actually really harmful when it comes to the depiction of relationships in real life and how if if you're looking if maybe you look to games to explain to you how relationships might work the idea that a, a healthy relationship is one that leads ultimately towards the act of sex is not particularly helpful now i love mass effect too i and i love the ways in which we are exploring relationships in video games. But I don't think it's necessarily a healthy representation of what that can be because ultimately, what happens in the sequel to the film? Well, guess what? The couple broke up about two months later because they realized they hated each other. And it's always like, you know, Indiana Jones kisses the girl, then realizes he's actually just an incredibly toxic man and can't live with them and has really bad problems and going, they are great um, kind of sex simulators but they are not good relationship simulators. Mm-hmm. Um, and the gamification of relationships is, I find interesting in video games. Um, the idea that, I mean, I like, it. I think it. I think it's, it's dangerous. Go off, it, King. I think it's dangerous. <laughs> I think it's really, really, really dangerous. The idea that you, as a protagonist, are you can affect someone else's emotions by coming in and acting in a certain way. If you love-bomb someone, if you give someone things in a gamification way, they will like you more. Because what you're doing in that scenario is saying that I am fundamentally worthy of that love and they have no agency in it. And the only agency they have is if I do more things for that person. Mm-hmm. And that is very dangerous because what that leads to is is the idea that you are the main character in your own story and that person may not want and you may not want that. And guess what? They're the, ca- they're the main character in their own story and they don't want you giving them gifts. And in fact, you can't just buy their love. And you aren't owed sex. You aren't owed that. And I think, I'm not having a go at these stories, but it is fascinating how I think that maybe some people might get that impression when you see that, because it's very easy to gamify it and it's fun to be, you know, we're talking about Baldur's Gate 3. It's like, what can I do to win this person round? Just guess what? They can do what they want. They can do what they want they don't like you they don't like you you don't you can't win them round and i think it's it is there is a dangerous precedent to be set it's fun to play but there are people that may not necessarily be able to separate those two things Mm -hmm. and um yeah i've I've, i think it's an interesting thing to be aware of
0: we should bring you back for the relationship episode eventually do
1: we
0: are gonna do an episode
2: on relationships
0: and romance another one we've done one in the past we haven't done like a full sims episode Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Go ahead. Yeah. It was the ones you were excited about.
2: Wait, and then I gave you guys a question.
0: Yeah. The uh, I ask white one, whales. I ask for... the at the end? What's your question? Hang on. We'll do that right now. Let me pull it up again. What is your IP white whale that you would most want to work on besides Tom Thumb? <laughs> or less than two. It's been. It's always been Thumb. Uh, it's always been leading. Is to it Tom the
1: thumb? thumb? Is it's that what the actual name it is? It's always been leading to the musical Tom Thumb, yeah. Okay. Uh, right. No. This, uh, I'd love to, I'd I'd say this, I say like shorthand, God, I'd love to, I'd love to work on Metal Gear Solid. That would have been fun to be a part of it because it's something that um, I know, like I know. um, And I'm always thinking that's interesting whenever people predict stuff, right? When they go, what do you want to see next? It's like, I want to see a sequel to this because it's, it's creating order in the chaos. It's going, I know this thing and I want to attach myself to that thing. What I really want to do is I want to be a part of a franchise at the beginning that no one knows about. I wanna be I wanna be, and this may sound like really greedy, but why not? I want to be on one of those things like Uncharted, where they go, There was nothing, and then there was something. And you build something and you create a personality, you create an individual that you're able to give your own identity to. Um I'd say that I I back myself as a performer. I think I'm, I think I'm good at it, but I don't think I'm good at it in the way that some people are good at it. I think some people are fantastic in fitting and molding themselves effortlessly into someone else's image. And I said, I think I'm much better at bringing roles to myself and being a lot more honest about it. Hmm. Um, I think there's a lot more technically gifted actors than me. but I think I still back myself in the areas that I'm really strong with. And I think that playing into my strengths would be instead of squeezing myself into kind of like a, a known property, I'd love to be a part of something in a collaborative way that goes, that's mine. I did that. And that's the, that's the proper dream. I joked a couple of months ago that I'd not even joked. I'd love to be a part of the Legacy of Kane franchise. Stop it. That's my answer. Sorry. Sorry. Well, I would love oh to my hang God. On. Okay. <laughs> I'd love to be, I'd lo- I, jo- I, I said, I said on Shut they, sh- up. they said, who would I, who would I want to play? And I was like, God, I'd love to be Raziel. I would love if they resurrect, I'd love to be Raziel. But then a part of me thinks, you know what? No, if they were going to tell another story in the Legacy of Kane, I'd like to be an original character. I'd like to create an original story instead of treading on and in putting putting someone else's shoes on. I'd like to create another original character in that franchise which would be so cool mm. um and um but yeah so it's it's I I don't want to retread stuff I want to be able to have my own relationship and forge my own career like I'm so I'm I'm so lucky that I got to be a part of Final Fantasy but I got to create my own original character within that and I got to, I really felt like I was able to collaborate within that I do not think I could do a very good job being a part of final fantasy 7 rebirth or remake i think i would struggle probably you know um being able to kind of mold myself into someone else's shoes you know because not only have those characters existed since 1997 they've also existed vocally since mm-hmm. advent children from before then you know they these characters exist and they're in people's minds and, and i think that pressure i'd probably um crumble a little bit um but yeah so something new something new I'd, I'd absolutely love to do and i love the unknowns i love the unknowns the from from nothing there is something and i love that creative process
2: you stole my thunder i was going to say no, i i want i want if you're listening i want legacy of kane i if it was entertainment i'd say muppets but that's like a whole other conversation um what what god damn it what
0: i was my answer too i fuck the it muppets. we're stealing it. you, you can get themselves. the muppets I'll give you I'll give you the Muppets. Do Legacy of Cain. Should
1: we should we plot it now? Should we make it Muppet? I literally, okay. So here's here's what I want to
2: do. I want to, I want to take Legacy of Cain and I want to give it the because it does kind of play a little bit with like sense of reality and 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 stuff like that. I want to give it, I want to start by giving it like the seven remake treatment where it's like, oh, here we go. You're gonna get a just kidding. And it is an entirely new, entirely separate thing. I think that world has has like again, like, touches all the themes and stuff that I mentioned earlier, like, it touches on that. And I'm also a sucker for, um, I'm a sucker for IPs and stories that kind of deal with the more epic nature of, like, old-ass, like, religions and, like, religious stories. Like, Evangelion is is a big a big favorite of mine because yeah. it plays with the whole, like, biblically accurate angels and, like, stuff like that. Um, But I just think it's such fertile ground uh, for those thematics. And given where we are today in 2023 with everything that's happened like the the horrors persist so do we i think it's a good time to tell a story like that and like share and talk about it and like i want to make of make a story in that world that makes people think and kind of like i want it to be like badass and like bloody and like fucking awesome but i really want to make something in that world that asks those questions and kind of gives the player room to like really think about it and explore like almost give it the like the near automata treatment yeah. where it's like very subtle messaging and when it hits you it really fucking hits you so like that's what i want to do with that please give it to me i don't know where it is right now does embracer have it
1: crystal dynamics
2: crystal dynamics
1: can i can i can i be in it as well <laughs> please okay thank you <laughs> so much
2: <laughs> yes yes you can be in it
1: thank you so much everyone that's so nice
2: <laughs> when I put my pitch document together, I'll have a slide that's like, and I already have an actor. So yeah. Sorry, guys.
0: Great. Do we have quick answers? Outlaw Star.
2: Oh, <laughs> so good.
0: I want to make Outlaw Star game with the Zone of the Enders combat. Ooh.
2: Oh, that's so perfect.
0: That's one. <gasps> I would love to do a new Monkey Island like that we could write would be amazing. Or doing a p- working puzzle agent because Graham Annable is like an incredible creator, and he understands pacing so well. And a lot of games don't understand how to pace their stories. Or they do, and they well. don't think they're allowed to slow things down. They gotta go fast. Yeah, so many games are so afraid of silence and like slowing things down and letting things let letting uh-huh. things breathe. Uh huh. Um, Agree. When when people describe
1: their like greatest moments in video games, often you go, "Oh, it's the moment when in Red Dead Redemption when you go into Mexico, or it's in Metal Gear Solid Three when you climb up the ladder." It's like those are the moments that you remember. The the moment in Breath of the Wild when you first step out and you see, yeah, Hyrule. It's it's those moments. It's that let things breathe and sit that are far more powerful than than like action
0: itself. Set, yeah. piece, set piece, set piece.
2: One of the most powerful, I think, gaming moments this year was. Did everyone play Tears of the Kingdom? Am I going to spoil yeah, it? Yes. Oh, okay. So it's when you see that you, it's it's between memory, the, the second to last memory and the last memory, when you very clearly understand what is about to happen here. And you, depending on what you were doing, this is definitely like a player driven moment, but depending on where you are, you can naturally run into the light dragon yeah, before, me. before it gets on your map. Me. And I hadn't seen her. I hadn't seen it yet. I hadn't seen her yet. And I had that memory and I was standing there and I was like, she fucking became a dragon, and no joke. I turned around, and she was pa- passing by, and I was just like, "My, there's my girlfriend in this in the sky." Um, and I just and I had this long moment. Like there was it was uh, unplanned. Nothing was happening. There were like crickets happening around me, or like the happy night music was playing or something around me. And I was just like, "I I fucking hate this game, and I love it, and it just emotionally destroyed me." But like that's, I agree with you. I think more games need to allow for. Moments like that where you can just sit with it, whether it's like baked into a scene or as more games move to this procedurally generated player driven, like huge immersive experiences, giving players the ability to find that moment and have that moment because that's the moment they're going to share. That's the moment they're going to talk about.
0: Yeah. And Ben's answer is a correct one or for me, at least of like original would be from the start would be really fun. But I would also love to adapt reboot into a video game. Like, oh. Rethink it from the ground up.
2: Oh, my God you you say original ip do you have a genre that you really gravitate towards
0: um
1: do i have a genre um no i really don't i just literally as a as an actor it would be different from being a consumer so as an actor i just want roles that challenge you know like really selfishly you go what can i do that allows me to showcase the things that i enjoy doing um but you know, is also fun to do, and and is kind of popular as well. It's like a, it's it's going to you know people are going to see it. So I don't really mind. Like I love, I love, I love like crime. I love crime stuff. I want to see more crime in in video game. I want, like I love
0: more crime in video. Games.
1: Oh no, I want. I love. I love for better or for worse. I love La Noir. Like I love mm. that as a game. It's not a great game in many many ways but in others it's really really wonderful but no I'd love to as a performer basically I've been given the gift right at the beginning of my career right to get to play a singular character all the way through from beginning from like really really young to like right to the end it's a it's an it's an amazing arc and to have the ability to do that over 20 to 30 hours is is the dream so to get to do anything like that again but to be feel like you are a part of shaping that character is is cool. Um, and it doesn't really have to exist in any genre as long as I can find my truth and honesty within that. Like the difference I've always said between um, being a professional actor and being a, an amateur actor is a really good amateur actors are f- fantastic at lying and really good professional actors are fantastic at telling the truth. And there is this difference in like, you you don't want to deceive, you want to reveal, and it's those moments of you go why is that person so good why is that performance so good and it's because they reveal something about themselves or they reveal something about you that you didn't realize um, and it's intangible you don't realize until you feel it and this is gonna, i'm not a massive i'm not a massive fan of shows like the crown because i feel like or i'm not a massive fan of biopics that you are doing an impression of someone because I can see the joins. And this is just a personal preference because I see people squeezing themselves into, into um, roles which there is an awkward fit and what's good we're seeing a facsimile of someone who isn't that person. So I think the earlier series of The Crown are better because they have that opportunity to not feel like they are pastiching or parodying mm. something. The closer you get to that person, if they're still alive, you're like, that's weird. Um, but. Um, to be able to um, see a performance where you just—it's raw and it's opened a—it's f- opened a fucking wound—and you get to see something that you wouldn't get to see anywhere else, and the cameras here or whatever—you get to hear the pain that exists in that singular moment is something so unbelievable. And to know the actor gave something of themselves in that moment. And you're not hearing restraint. You're hearing the opposite of that is absolutely amazing. There was this brilliant play on that, um, at the national theater that ran at the West end called people, places and things. Um, and it pretty much launched the career of Denise Goff, Denise Goff, who plays dead Ramira in Andor, Mm. um, who is, um, Yennefer in The Witcher, she is absolutely incredible. It's, it's, it was, she was doing eight shows a week, and it's about addiction. And it was on stage, and every single time you thought she was revealing her, her fucking soul to you on stage. And it was probably the best performance I've ever seen on stage, simply because you felt like you were, you were getting the only performance of that play, because no one, no one could do that eight times a week. And no one could do that eight times a week for two years. And she did. And it, it is absolutely astonishing. If you ever get to see an NT live of it, National Theatre live of it, it's it's so terrifyingly brilliant. And those are the great things that you want to see. And that's just my personal preference. You know, you don't have to bear your soul. I love comedic performances as well, but there's just something so so profoundly moving about an actor's ability to be vulnerable with you. Um and yeah, that
0: that reminds me. I changed my answer to Andor. Like, I don't care about Star Wars that much, but Andor, I love so much that I'd, I'd work on an Andor thing just because to have that standard of writing and like be so political and have a huge ensemble cast where like here's it's very character centric that would be incredible to write on the um, Stellan Skarsgård speech. Yes, in series.
1: Siri. Which one? <laughs> the one the 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 speech that he kind of goes on. Um, to robert Emms's character just as he's in the lift you know this, that yeah. that moment i immediately after that episode went and found the transcript of that because it is is probably one of the best bits of writing i've ever seen it was the most beautifully poetic and he just throws it away he just throws it away with this kind of like and you know stellan probably turned up learned it on the day just like just said it didn't care but it's and it it's so good. It's so unbelievably good. And it does not, it's almost like it doesn't belong in star Wars. It's just so good. It belongs. Yeah. It belongs as Indiana Jones would say
0: in a museum. It's that good. You watched Andor, Alexa? You did. No, we can't derail this right now. We got to right, get to these right. the questions. <laughs> so each episode, we have our guests ask a question to our next episode's guests. And in our last one, Natalie Watson asked, what is something that you do for your storytelling to develop it like journaling or reading a lot of books or anything else?
2: I okay. I did the whole artist journey thing last uh, last year, earlier this year. What year is it? I don't know. And one of the things it talks about is how you have to. And I've recommended this to everyone. You have to like consume art to make it. Like I know a lot of writers that are so hung up on being productive. Like I have to spend all of my free time writing. I have to be super productive. I have to be super prolific. I have to do everything in service to what I'm doing. And they don't really leave space to like go seek. Yeah. To like go seek out art and consume it. And like the thing about being a game writer is you always, I really strongly feel you always have to know what your peers are making and what else is out there. Um, there's that that joke that the creative director goes home on the weekend, plays a new game, comes home and is like, oh, comes back on Monday and is like, oh, we have to implement this feature that I you saw. You guys and- played Elden Ring? Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys played Elden Ring or Tears of the Kingdom or whatever? But I unfortunately I think that's me in my on my current project. I go, I play something on the weekend, I encounter this piece of writing or this performance or this moment that is just so like beautiful or strong or powerful or a sentiment and i come back and i say hey I, I, I was watching this and this is something that i think we should really think about for for xyz i think consuming art is really important i think consuming um for game writing consuming all kind of art is important and that includes like you know television and film walking in nature like going and to museums and seeing what your ancestors have made i think it's just so important to be able to look at it and spend time with it and, and and think about it. And I also feel that a lot of writers tend to curate that art that they are consuming based on what their peers are saying or what others are saying. And often that is, that's what's popular like Andor Andor when Andor came out, everyone was talking about this trope, this speech, like uh, someone in in work was like, okay, what's our one way out moment. And it's like, mm. okay, sure. Um, not gonna rat on who that was but um but it's stuff like that but then but then everyone watched that tears of the kingdom of course everyone played it um uh, uh alan wake too everyone on, on the team played it and then and the people come back and they're talking about this story moment that story moment but that doesn't will give you any room to breathe to go out and like find like a, a weird art house film or play a smaller game like i spent a lot of time this year playing um Oh my God, playing uh Sea of Stars, which is the indie game that I believe won it the won it the game awards. And the thing that struck me about it is like, well, it's not a perfect RPG and like the story is is fine. It does invoke a feeling. So I came back and I was like, we need to in like what like we need to invoke a f- like a feeling. What is the thing that we want our players to like walk away with when they hit save and they walk away for their work, their work day, their sleep? Like, yeah, we want players to mainline our game like and and play as many hours as they can but when they do have to walk away from it how do we make sure they're still like thinking about it and still engaging with it even when they're not there um and i always um i always encourage uh, people to also go see things that people say are bad hate watching is also i think a valid form of interacting with art and and finding something out of it i saw uh i saw wish two weekends ago which was is not a good film but um the thing I came away with was like oh someone had a conversation about we need to make a villain that is irredeemably evil and extremely fuckable and that is the one takeaway that I came back with and then went in and was like okay hot like irredeemable and hot this is something we can work with and then we had this big conversation about certain things that I can't say because I'm NDA, but. yeah. Just go out there, see stuff like, yes, I know you want to spend time working on your art, but to be part of the community and to get better, you need to like, you need to be spending some time on it. And also don't feel guilty about it. I know people feel guilty about spending 200 hours on Zelda or, you know, spending 80 hours reading like the latest Sarah J. Mass novel or something. You have to go do that and you can't feel guilty about it because that's how you get better. And that's how generate you generate ideas. part right. of the job. It's part of the job. Yeah.
1: I also hate watch. Um, <laughs> I think I've told you this Alexa before, but I um, one of my favourite things to do is to buy a bottle of relatively cheap white wine, put it in the freezer, make sure it's as cold as possible, and then put on a very very bad film, and I will drink that bottle, maybe another one through the through the film, and so uh, we're thinking kind of Morbius. I'm thinking. I'm thinking like any sort of any sort of the output that like Sony Marvel have done recently, (laughs) Um, you know, like those (laughs) those sort of films which are incredibly entertaining, super fun. But like you just need to be a little bit pissed to enjoy them, Mm. but also like pretty much any of the output that Netflix have put out. So like um, the Gray man yeah i i got so drunk (laughs) during the gray man it was and it was fantastic and i had the best time anything that that ryan reynolds has done recently on netflix anything the rock has done recently on netflix know the ones that they churn out extraction great film the the two chris hemsworth extraction films they're great with a bottle of wine because it's just it's a really interesting way of consuming art but when like in seriousness like i don't like you know the whole thing of like good artists borrow, great artists steal, but you still gotta steal intelligently. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I really what what you said about stealing the idea of a feeling is going, what did I feel as a result of that? And then how can I reverse engineer in my own individual way that feeling? Like I I think of severance as an example. Everyone wants to make the next severance now. But you can't make the next severance because severance has already been made. So they severance is a film that existed TV and, show yeah the TV show the film Severance if you haven't seen it it's a fantastic fantastic TV show um I don't know how they're going to make a second series but I look forward to it but it is so unique um it's like people want to copy that and you see it all the time it's like I want to make the next this and go well you the problem is you're going to be too late already you're going to be directly yeah. compared to it you're going to go you're a less good version of that you're going to be a souls like you know it's <laughs> the, it's it fascinates a but fate we, worse than death being do, a souls we like we do it we go like do you want to be a this like um mm-hmm. and I'm I'm interested in the trend clearly what's happening now is a lot of roguelikes are happening like we've realized that rogue roguelike games are, are probably easier ways of making a triple A game that doesn't necessarily have to use as many assets as they did before but um it's 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 iterative and it's not as interesting as the one that sparks it off um you know, I I I I don't know really. I mean, I'm interested to see where the industry goes because it's always chasing trends because what will happen is something will turn up, you know, among us. That happened. Like all these all these games that you don't expect that are just moments in time. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. No one expected Baldur's Gate three. No. No one. Tears of the Kingdom was going to be the greatest game this year and there's nothing that could touch it. It's no. Fireman two. <laughs> but even then even th- you know Sp- and Spider-Man 2, I had to say it. Spider-Man 2 is absolutely wonderful and I I thank Spider-Man I thank Spider-Man 2 just in general for f- making me fall in love with video games again because I kind of fallen out of love with them but it's it's in the general populace of I'm I'm fascinated to see how the industry reacts to Baldur's Gate 3 this year in the next 4 or 5 years because I don't think they're going to be do a very good job because they're going to be doing it in bad faith oh yeah they won't be doing it with the love and tender care and attention that goes into making that game and the reason that that game worked. Um, yeah, there's it a lot of unoriginality in,
0: in this industry. And it's very, very obvious to see. Three worked because they made one and two. And they had that knowledge. And you can't start from well, scratch. Three,
2: three was also like a technical cut. Now putting on my, te- my technical hat was a technical marvel in terms of narrative design and systems design, like the way that they had to accommodate for so many player choices and so many reactions from so many other characters like that. I cannot, Im- there have a million plus has to be pushing 1.5 mil for words, lines of that game. Like yeah. it is, it is just like y- you can push and push the boundaries of choices and playing in that game. And you it it delivers you can get special endings based on based on choices you've made that are like such an edge case like they accounted for so many edge cases it is a technical marvel and i know everyone now is going to be chasing that but it's going to be like how can we do it cheaper and 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 better how can we do
0: ai to take off the off oh you said my trigger you said my trigger word um Please don't. Sorry, I'm gonna bleep that out.
2: (laughs) But it's um, but yeah, like it's it's the it's it's gonna be it's gonna be the thing. And like I don't think anyone is gonna make a game like Baldur's Gate. I think bits and pieces of what it does will be picked up and kind of like placed elsewhere. Like I don't think we're gonna get another massive RPG that's a Baldur's Gate like with that level of technical specificity. I think we'll get like a roguelike or we'll get something like a, like an action, some something in the action genre. We'll get something infinitely smaller in another genre, probably with guns, because that's what we like to do in this industry, Yeah, but nothing will top Baldur's Gate too. And you can kind of see it also with tears of the kingdom. Like, I think part of the reason tears of the kingdom did not win this year is because it just did not like it was breath of, it was breath of the wild too. It was this again. Plus now you get like to hang out with Sidon the entire time, which is what I did. But, um, but it just, it didn't, it wasn't pushing, it wasn't pushing anything new. It was like puzzles with a different skin on it. Um, I think of Splatoon and how it was this big mm. global phenomenon and people are still playing it and there's still tournaments. And then Square Enix made Foam Stars, which is like, so, like it's, it's, yeah. it's Splatoon Chaser and it's just like, but you're not Splatoon. Like people really need to think like, again, like you said, reverse engineer that feeling. Like how can I get here by doing something completely different? It's not. It's not the, it's not the, 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 t- like lifting it and lifting all the ingredients and taking those ingredients and, and maybe swapping out one or two things. It's like, yeah. this is the flavor I want, but you have to reverse engineer the entire thing yourself. Like you put your own ingredients in and try to get to that. Like, that's what we have to think about.
0: Yeah. That's really good. Um, <laughs> I would keep going more, but we got to keep going. Um, So Allie Hennessy asked about the Skittle concept, where if you think about, you're going to eat an M&M but it's a Skittle. It can blow your mind in that it wasn't what you, were, what you were expecting. It's not that it was bad, it's just different, and you need to actually recalibrate to it. So her question is, from a storytelling point of view, when you're working as part of a creative team, especially if you're in any kind of creative leadership position, how do you tell the difference between something that is a Skittle and that it's still good, it's just not what you were expecting, versus no, that's actually an idea that's totally outside of the bounds of what we're doing with this thing. How do you say open-minded to those Skittles without losing sight of your vision?
2: oh my god so i when i work on teens i prefer to i writing solo is fine but i absolutely am like a pack creature when it comes to creation when someone comes to me with an idea or when we're in like a brainstorm room or we're putting all that stuff together i really try to approach any sort of idea with a very like naked and alert mind like i know everyone will come in with something different and i try not to come in with that need, like with my preconceived notions of how this is going to go because it's so easy for someone to throw something out and then your mind goes off and you go oh well like before they even stop talking oh that breaks our lore oh that's not canon oh big company i work for like ip like would never go for that it's so easy to be like, no, we can't do that because X, Y, Z. It is harder to, to like, I will yes and ideas to death until we feel like we get to a point where it we we know it's not going to work. Like I might feel like it's not going to work because of where I'm sitting. I want to know where did this idea come from? Where did you? Where did you get it from? Um, why? Why are you so uh, adamant about defending it? And sometimes in game writing, it's something that like breaks the design and in that case you kind of have to be like well we have like for example for narrative systems it's like well we have this narrative system set up functionally i don't think we can make it happen like this but here's how the system works and when i say here's how the system works i talk about opening unreal and pulling up blueprints and being like here's here's what we have to work with what can you put in this structure that you like to 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 get to the that ending feeling that thing that you want here or where can we see this or can we use it in like a UI way? Can we put it in like some in like a journal entry? Can we put it in, in, in the environment? Is it something that can exist not as a piece of dialogue or a scene or a writing? And once we've kind of exhausted all of those and it'll be like, well, we tried. I firmly believe in trying. Like there are no there are no stupid ideas, just stupid people.
1: Very true. <laughs> From a performer's point of view, that idea of the the unexpected is one of the most exciting things you can really achieve. Because um, when you work on something for a long time, there is an understanding of what is character and what isn't. And you also, when you say a line, you, what you want it to be in your head or what the director wants in their head or what the writer or creator wants in their head is a very particular thing. And you can think it and you can know it, but sometimes you just can't do it. Sometimes it's actually impossible for you to say the words the way they are in your head out loud. That might sound crazy, but it is kind of true because often your brain will fill in the gaps. It will just fill in the, mm. how it might be possible. And then, actually, if you ask a person to do it, they'll, if you ask a director sometimes to give you the line reading that's in their head, they won't be able to do it because, actually, the line reading is impossible. Um, but sometimes, when you do something and you're given enough freedom in that moment to to give something a little bit different, you get lines that are very, very unexpected. And there is a moment in Final Fantasy 16 where Clive confronts his mother. Um, and I got tagged in it a lot recently, and it seemed to be a scene that people really responded to. And he goes off. He absolutely goes off on one of his mother. And I remember doing that line. and. Uh, when we were recording it, they just said, go for it. And I went, okay. And I delivered that line as if it was like, Clive is a very kind of very stoic um intense character but when you see him in that scene his voice breaks he goes from very low to very high he almost scream shouts at his mother and it sounds quite infant like it's like a child going off at them and clive is v- as, as a leader but to be able to confront a parent it's like when you go home for christmas and you regress right the change in relationships and I didn't expect the line to come out like that. And actually, if I was to do it again, I probably wouldn't have done it like that. But it works so much better because it was just a go for it line. It was like unleash on this woman. And I am i think that moment where you just do something that you don't expect that isn't necessarily the best technical version of that line, but it's the realest thing. It's super, super exciting where it's actually not the thing you had in your head. You just threw it all out. And 98% of the time it doesn't work, but 2% of the time it does. And it creates something that's you're really proud of. And I'm really proud of that moment because it is, I would never probably do that line like that again. Um, but I think it feels really, really honest.
2: My favorite writing jump scare is when you hand your script off to an actor and you get something like that. And then that could, sometimes that changes entire scenes or even like entire concepts of a character like Mm. i have definitely gone back and rewritten a character reworked something because we got we casted someone who just brought something like so extra and so interesting that we had to go back and think about it like once you get like i really like being on the stage and working working with the actors because of stuff like that because sometimes your understanding changes between what you can read on the page and then how you're hearing someone say it Mm. um and I mean, it can also happen when you've like casted and you haven't seen that person yet and you're still writing. Like if there's someone you love to work with, like I know we've all like done the writing for like, oh, we're working with this person, like we're writing for them and kind of writing to their strengths, which again is coming off that preconceived notion of how they're going to come into that performance. But when you go in and you get you get on the stage with them and they just like pull something out that completely blows apart your understanding of a, a puzzle piece of their narrative, going back and kind of reworking stuff that, you know, again, you don't blow up the budget and have to like go back and re-record stuff, but when it blows open something that you thought you understood, like, I like that. That's one of my favorite things about, about working in this medium.
0: And a good one to end on if we go to this question of uh, what's a storytelling related question you'd like our next guest to answer.
2: Do you practice your craft every day? And if you do, how do you maintain it? If you don't, why don't you do it every day?
1: How do you let go? How do you let go of it? And I mean that, like, how do you let go of your work when it is released into the world? And Mm. I mean, like, your emotional relationship with it. Like, that's been my experience. I don't really think of the exact questioning, but I'm always fascinated by creatives who put so much work into something, and then they go, here you go. Are they able to kind of compartmentalize that? Are they able to kind of separate themselves from it, or do they still allow... That to affect them, or what do they practice in order to separate themselves and let their baby go off into the world as a real thing?
0: Both great questions. I don't want to get, we don't have to talk about this. I, I'm wondering about like the worst feeling feels like you work on like a triple A game for like four years and then it gets canceled right at the end. It's like, how do you separate yourself from that then? You don't, yeah. you mourn it
2: for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, it it's mourning. Like it's, it feels like mourning and it happens when when stuff gets shit canned and it happens when it doesn't and it goes out into the wild and it doesn't really matter how it's received. But at least for me personally, it does feel like something is like post, almost like um, like post-convention let down or post-event let down where you're like depressed, like the thing happened and, and, and and that's it. But effectively ending all that process is like triggering a mourning period. And sometimes it takes, couple months sometimes it takes a couple years and sometimes it never goes away but yeah it feels like morning
0: all right to end on that bummer note (laughs) um where where can people find or do you have anything you want to plug like social media or uh projects
2: i'm working on black panther bye
0: (laughs) play file fantasy 16
1: yeah i mean i just um a real plugger um i'm sure you'll find me doing some sort of meme content on the internet that's going to get shared at some point that i didn't mean to do um <laughs> i uh yeah and i just i just announced uh just before the game awards that i'm doing warframe 1999 which i'm really excited about hell, hell yeah. yeah um and i get to play the the main character in that um so shout out to digital extremes and rebecca ford for trusting me to be a part of their franchise um so if you've never played warframe i genuinely think it might be a good Time to step in. They're trying to really do some. Since Rebecca's taken over, they're trying to take some big leaps of getting new people involved and new story content. And
0: um, it sounds like they're trying to do some ambitious things. So I'm excited to be a part of it. Sweet. Took me a lot of control not to hit the applause button on this thing, but I know I think I think it's pretty loud, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> to, the, to the people listening to this, we got a new mixer that has all these sounds that we've been using. So I apologize for this obnoxious censoring we've been doing. Um, that'll do it for our show. You can find us on. Twitter on Scriptlockcast. Um, Our artwork was done by Lily Nishida and our theme song was done by Isabella Ness. And that will do it. Thank you again for coming on. Of course. Thank you. Today's episode was brought to you by Backlight Gem, the narrative management system for writers and narrative designers. Learn about how it can streamline and simplify your design and writing experience at gem.backlight.co. Thank you, Gem.